Protection of the common good is liberalism. Conservatives and socialists alike may struggle to link climate change to their respective ideologies, as the measures now needed are simply beyond what a traditional conservative agenda can comfortably include. Socialist thinkers will have to accept that many of the most efficient solutions are firmly market-based. While it is less than obvious whether or not there is, in fact, a Green Party ideology, it is clear that the liberal ideology is firmly in line with where climate policy is currently heading. We propose that liberals anchor climate change policy in the work of one of the most influential liberal thinkers, the Scottish philosopher and economist Adam Smith. He is best known for his work An Inquiry into the Nature and Causes of the Wealth of Nations, 1776, which was an important and influential cornerstone for the paradigm of free trade. Smith argued that both the buyer and the seller win through free exchange, and that because trade benefits both sides, it increases our prosperity. This understanding has been a given to leading economists for many decades, and it is clear that it holds true for combating climate change as well. A few examples of how free trade and market principles have worked and failed in the energy sector will help to prove the point. 1. In the 1970s, when Denmark decided to generate a large proportion of its electricity from wind, at the time just under 50% of the total annual demand, a market for wind turbines was created, and Danish turbine producers became world leaders. The main reasons this happened include the creation of a level playing field and ensuring that the best wind locations were available for the industry, while tariffs, quotas and import restrictions did not play any role. 2. Solar power has seen a rapid reduction in price every time production increases. Several countries have tried to protect their own solar industries, rarely with success. Those countries with the highest percentage of electricity generated from the sun have been open, liberal market economies, at least in the case of establishing renewable energy. 3. When the Swedish invention Solvatten a device purifying water using only the heat and UV rays of the sun, was launched, it was deemed suitable for the needs of developing countries. A market introduction plan for East Africa was set up, cooperating with microfinance institutions to ensure that low-income households would be able to afford the device. Over less than a year, Solvatten became profitable, but it failed to maintain any kind of momentum on a larger scale. This was, to a large degree, due to problems at the African customs level, which led to unpredictable deliveries and steep price rises. Alas, it was not the technology or the project itself that led to this initiative failing. It was a failure in the trading systems being used to deliver it. It is, however, vital to understand that the liberal school of thought does not mean a free-for-all, survival-of-the-fittest market. Adam Smith himself was quite adamant about this. The wealth of nations is not merely a study of economics. It shares a deep understanding of human social psychology. Smith insisted that social harmony would emerge naturally as human beings struggled to find ways to live and work with each other. Freedom and self-interest need not produce chaos, but, if guided by an invisible hand, 
order and concord. As people strike bargains with one another, national resources will automatically be drawn towards the ends that people value most highly. The main difference between human-made climate change, which Adam Smith did not foresee, and which was in fact only scientifically proven in the 1890s, and other kinds of pollution, is that climate change cannot be seen or dealt with in the way we may deal with soot, garbage, or noise. Since greenhouse gases are global in their scope and do not cause immediate nuisance limited to the area where they are emitted, Smith's solution for other pollutants, with neighbours setting up formal or informal agreements on how to behave, is not applicable. Smith would insist on the necessity of such agreements, but would broaden the scope from neighbours or neighbourhoods to countries or regions, as is indeed the case in the Paris Agreement, where the principle of shared but differentiated responsibilities echoes Adam Smith's sense of freedom with voluntarily agreed limits. In Smith's other book, he only wrote two, The Theory of Moral Sentiments, he focused on the foundation of human morality. He found what may now seem obvious, that the basis of our moral ideas and actions involve a natural sympathy for others, which will lead us to moderate our behaviour in order to preserve harmony. We are self-interested, which is largely positive, but we are not limited by those parameters. In fact, he argued that we are guided by an inner, neutral consciousness that tells us when our self-interest should stand back for the interest of others or for the common good. How selfish soever man may be supposed, there are evidently some principles in his nature which interest him in the fortune of others and render their happiness necessary to him, though he derives nothing from it except the pleasure of seeing it. Another thinker whose work aligns with much of Adam Smith's theories is Jeremy Bentham. In his Utilitarianism, the interests of all beings are considered equal and the goal of society is to maximise the total level of happiness. By the principle of utility is meant that principle which approves or disapproves of every action whatsoever according to the tendency it appears to have to augment or diminish the happiness of the party whose interest is in question, or what is the same thing, in other words, to promote or to oppose that happiness. I say of every action whatsoever, and therefore not only of every action of a private individual, but of every measure of government. This ethics-based promotion of actions that maximise happiness and well-being for the majority of a population can easily be adapted to today's discussion on climate change. We see that actions detrimental to the climate will often only marginally increase our pleasure, happiness or well-being, while the same actions may significantly reduce the pleasure, happiness and well-being of others, even up to a point where their chosen way of life may be rendered impossible. In contrast to most other actions, including those connected with other areas of sustainability, what affects climate change may also have far-reaching consequences for people we have never met, for species with which we have no means of meaningful communication, and for human beings who are not yet born and may indeed be born only after we no longer exist. With this in mind, we see that utilitarianism, which has been vastly influential in shaping modern-day liberalism, clearly shows that we as individuals and as societies 
must avoid actions that contribute to climate change. Again, a few examples will help illustrate the point. 1. Using a fossil fuel-powered car is intrinsically linked to the emissions of greenhouse gases, and thus global warming. While such a vehicle may increase the driver's freedom, and thus happiness, it may severely reduce the prospects of happiness for others, especially if many people behave the same way and use the same kind of vehicles. In previous decades, it could be argued that the level of happiness from not using the vehicle would decrease so much so that it was in fact worth it. Public transport could be slow, unreliable and inconvenient. But with new technology and the gradual decreases in prices for these technologies, the reduction in pleasure and happiness from choosing, for instance, an electric car becomes minimal and easily offset by the increased welfare created by avoiding climate change-inducing emissions. In fact, many would argue that individual happiness increases when making such choices. 2. Coal-based power is often the cheapest option when it comes to the kind of electricity you have in your home. In most liberal democracies, it is possible to actively choose the origin of your electricity through certificates of origin or environmental labelling. Up until now, the cheapest option is often either to choose coal-based power or to simply accept the existing grid mix, whatever it is. In many countries, this means a high percentage of coal. The pleasure derived from using electricity from coal will, in most cases, be directly linked to the price advantage. Only rarely does one encounter consumers who derive pleasure in the fact that a fossil fuel lights their bulbs and stoves. In recent times, renewable sources of electricity have become much more competitive. In 2019, several tenders for electricity generation were won by offshore wind power or large-scale photovoltaic fields around Europe on the grounds that these sources of energy were the cheapest. From a utilitarian and liberal perspective, it is obvious that the way to maximise overall happiness is to rapidly switch from coal power to solar, wind and other sources of energy that have limited negative effects on happiness and welfare. 3. Cycling is the preferred mode of transport in the Danish capital, Copenhagen. More people cycle to and from work than use all the other modes of transport combined. When asked why they choose to cycle, in a large survey conducted by the municipality, the positive effects on climate change compared to other modes of transport were only mentioned by a small minority. Instead, the most common positive effects individuals identified for this behaviour were better health, saving money and saving time. This can easily be translated into utilitarianism's notion of happiness or well-being. And since the percentage of cyclists in Denmark is so high, the suffering they inflict on others, potentially car drivers and pedestrians, would need to be very high in order for policymakers not to systematically increase the percentage of people cycling. However, conditions may vary in different parts of Europe. Bad infrastructure, air pollution and norms about cars as a status symbol can make it more difficult for citizens in Southeast Europe, for example, to use bikes regularly. There are also examples where the opposite is true. Long-distance flying will often increase the happiness of individuals, but will worsen the future for all, unless, or until, more sustainable flying is introduced. At the same time, positive examples can easily be reproduced. 
alongside technological development within key sectors combating climate change, such as energy, transport, housing and food, the reduction in satisfaction, well-being or happiness from low-emission choices compared to their high-emissions alternatives will be very low or non-existent. This trend is exacerbated by the fact that people's values have changed, with increased awareness about the effects of climate change. This is especially true in advanced liberal economies, where a majority express how their quality of life or sense of well-being is reduced by the effects of climate change, and they also have profound unease about its negative effects. This is in itself negative. We are not prone to rational, long-term decision-making when suffering from anxiety or panic, but it shows that there is now a strong demand for increased action. From a liberal, altruistic perspective, this is a game-changer. The liberal approach to climate change is to be the champion of emissions reductions, not for the sake of nature, climate, or other beings, or even for the moral imperative of protecting what's been given to us, but simply because a cost-benefit analysis proves that more people stand to gain from radical, quick emissions reductions than will lose.